All right, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to this Branches Park service. So glad you joined us. And uh, when Brian says we're shocked, we're shocked in the best way. Um, just to see so many of you navigating and weathering the cold. I am underdressed. This is going to be the, I've, you know, I preach some sermons where I've been warm during the sermon. I think this might be the first where I'm going to be cold uh, during the sermon. I, I saw that, you know, and I was a little bold in my prediction. I said, every time we meet outdoors, we're always blessed. I said that, I think, two weeks ago. And, uh, and so I saw in the weather report, 62 and sunny and I did not factor in wind chill would cause it to be 20 degrees out. I don't know about you guys. I guess we did still kind of thread the needle because it was all rain. And then I think after this service is over, it's all going to be rain for several days. So I get that, uh, you know, maybe it was a lot for you guys to come out in, in the midst of the sweater. But who wants to be kept up indoors for any more days? I mean, this is like really the moment we should be gathering outside. So I'm so glad that you guys have come together with us. We're going to be eating some food. And guess what? If you've got a New Year's party happening after this, take some extra chicken. We might have some extra chicken for you. You can bring chicken to the meal. It's always delicious. And by the way, if you're walking by in the park and you uh, are enjoying a little sunshine before the rain comes back, feel free to join us. We've got coffee and donuts. We'd love for you to eat with us. We are a welcoming and inviting church community. You're going to see that more than just in the food. You're going to see that in the relationships that we have with one another. And certainly that was my experience on Christmas Eve. I know that was Friday. It was the eve of Christmas Eve that we gathered last. And I can just tell you guys, and I feel a little sentimental this morning. That's why I'm wearing my Mr. Rogers cardigan. I just had so much joy being together with all of you for that gathering. And uh, I can just tell you that there was just, just such a deep sense of satisfaction that I had coming together. I mean, I knew I was preaching and typically that's on my mind. You know, what am I going to say? Am I, you know, fully prepared and all that sort of stuff. But really I just was like present with our community and just, just soaking in the joy that it is to be in relationship with all of you. And I just feel the joy has changed for me in ministry over the last 12 years. Uh, in the beginning, I think it was more like when a kid opens a present, right? And they get like that dopamine rush of like, wow, something new. And there was a lot of like firsts for us and a lot of new experiences. And those are all gifts from God. I, I love those times. But now the joy that I have, the satisfaction I have in this community, it's like these coals that are just deeply hot, warm, kind of emanating all the time. That's like the feeling I have because no longer is it about the experiences or the first or the new highs. It really is about the relationships. It really is about the beautiful people that God has brought together in this branches community it, it woven us together. It's so cliche, like a tapestry. But if you think about that picture how a tapestry is all these different fabrics put together. Like there's all these different individuals and families that have been woven together in this fellowship as part of the larger body of Christ. And I just, I love it. I love you guys. And I feel like the new year's the time to tell you, all right? I don't know. I'm, I'm wearing the sweater. I told you. I'm sentimental. So 
Where do we go as we step into this new year? Where are we going to go in the scriptures? <laughs> We're starting in the book of Revelation next week. I didn't think the park was the place. I'm not saying like the content isn't suited for the park or public, but you know, just starting a new book series, especially one as you know, can be as complicated as the book of Revelation. Probably not the setting for the park when many of us are distracted. New Year's Day, how many are going to show up? Well, quite a few, but we're not going to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to save that for next week. But I do want to go to a scripture that sort of touches on those two key feelings that I have in reflection thinking about our community, both love and joy. And it's also just happens to be our namesake passage, which is supposed to be a reorienting passage for us as the branches community. It's John 15, if you don't know that already. Let's read John 15 together. And I do believe this is a message for us as a church community, but it's also a message for every single one of you as you consider stepping into this new year. Let's read to verse 17 together. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. The first nine verses here of John 15 set the grander scale of our spiritual lives. Jesus establishes himself as the true vine as opposed to any counterfeit sources of meaning or purpose or life. Jesus is the only source, he claims, of true substance. To remain with him as he promises to be with us is to live a life of spiritual flourishing. Apart from him, denying him in your life, you can do nothing. You will bear no fruit. It's like you emerge from dust and to dust you will return. It's like a branch that's removed from the vine and then withers and just evaporates and comes to nothing. I tried to think, what's the analogy and the connection to the human body? 
for how important a vine is to a branch. It's like the heart for the human being. Trying to live like a branch without the vine is like a human being trying to live without their heart. The heart is the center that pumps life through our bodies. So Jesus is the heart of our spiritual life. He says it twice. This is me, the vine. This is you, the branch. You got to get this straight. I'm the heart and you've got to stay attached to me. That's important because it's not just those who fail to remain in Jesus by rejecting him that fall into this status of not bearing fruit, fruit that lasts. It's also those, Jesus suggests, that try to bear fruit apart from him. So there's a group that just say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, and they're not going to bear fruit. But he says, there's another group of people that are going to try to bear fruit, but they're not going to do it with him, and so they're not going to be able to accomplish it. They're going to fail just the same. You know, so even if you want to live a life of purpose, even if you want to live a life of spiritual flourishing, but you're not doing it in the strength that God provides, if you're not doing it in the context of relationship with Jesus, you'll fail. You know, human beings, are, we're, we're silly sometimes. The way that we talk about ourselves, the way we consider ourselves, we're, we're very independent, we're very self-determined. You know, I've heard many people say this cliche, you know, I can do anything I set my mind to. I can do anything I set my mind to. I'm always like, yeah? Can you run 50 miles per hour? You know? You can do anything you set your mind to. Can you run 50 miles per hour? Oh, you know that's not what I mean. When I say I can do anything I set my mind to. Well, what do you mean? When you say that phrase, do you mean you can do anything you could already do when you set your mind on it? Are you saying that you can do more than you could otherwise do if you were just being lazy? Is that what you mean when you set your mind on something? You can do anything? You know, there's a a runner, a world-renowned runner, the, the record holder for speed for a human being, obviously set his mind to running very, very fast, Usain Bolt, from Jamaica. You know, I thought Jamaica was chill. I thought it was a place for vacation. They run. All right? He's fast. He he can run near 28 miles per hour as a human being. And people listen to that and they're like, wow, human beings are capable of anything. Can you run 100 miles per hour? I mean, there's a diminishing return on that eventually. We we literally can't do anything. We, We have... Limitations. I can't run 100 miles per hour. There's not a human being that ever will. I can drive 100 miles per hour. It's probably not suggested on our streets. But what I mean to say is like, we as human beings, we have limits. There are things that we can't accomplish in ourselves, except in that analogy of getting in a car. I can rely on this other force to enable me to do something I couldn't otherwise do. That's our life of spiritual flourishing. We could not live a life of spiritual flourishing. We cannot live a life that pleases God. We cannot live into the purpose that God intended for us. It's like somebody trying to run 100 miles per hour. We weren't built for it apart from the way that Jesus enables us through his strength and through relationship with him. When we depend on him, we have this abundance of benefits that are shared with us. So says John 15. I mean, the relationship is heavily weighted 
toward the, the grace and the goodness coming our way. I mean, just consider some of the promises. Jesus says, if you remain with me, if you depend on me for what only I can bring to you, then in verse 4 he says, I'll stay with you. I'll remain with you. In verse 2 he says, my father, the gardener, will prune you through all the circumstances of your life, all the challenges, all the things that cut you back. He's actually going to prune you and redeem those things when you're in relationship with me for a higher good, a higher purpose, so that you can be even more fruitful. He says in verse 3, you're made clean. You're purified from the words that I have spoken over you. And in verse 7, he says, ask whatever you wish, and my Father, God, will grant it for you. Viewed experientially, think about these promises. It means that as the Christian, we have this life where we have this constant intimacy and nearness, this sense of God's presence with us in all things. He says, if you stay with me, I'll stay with you. We have this reminder that even when we're going through all the difficult things of this world, that God is going to use all of it for a good purpose, for our growth. We have this attitude of freedom, freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation because of this grace that's afforded us. He says, I've cleansed you. I've purified you. You don't have to carry baggage anymore in your life. And he says, as you encounter challenges and difficulties and you have needs and you have wants, well, guess what? You can now live a life in relationship with me where you rely on the infinite resources my Father in heaven has promised to share with you. Those are four experiences and realities of the Christian life that I've needed to rely on this week. Okay, every single one of them. I needed to know that God was near me. I needed to know that God had the, you know, infinite resources of the universe at his disposal, that he wasn't going to hold anything back for me. I needed to know that in the hard things I was going through this week, that God was going to use them for a higher purpose. Those are the realities that shape us as believers in a way that's set apart from the rest of the world. It's something you can't experience except through relationship with Jesus. So how do we tap into that? I mean, that's as reorienting as anything for the new year. As you're stepping into the new year, don't you want to live with the confidence of knowing God's infinite resources are available to support you in whatever you need? Don't you want to know that God is using even the difficult things you're going to face this year for a higher good and a higher purpose? Don't you want to know he's near you? Those are all the things that I know I want to step into in this new year. So how do we tap into it? How do we remain in the vine? How do we keep Jesus the heart of our spiritual lives? And the answer is found in the verses that I want to focus on for the rest of our time this morning, in the next eight verses. And it's in them that I feel that Jesus is not only giving us the answer to that question of how we can remain attached to him, how we can remain in the vine, how we can enjoy the benefits of this relationship, but he's also bearing his soul. He's also bearing his soul. The soul of God, I believe, is demonstrated in John 15. It all starts, him giving this answer to how we abide and him sharing about his heart. It all starts with his own example. In verse 9, he explains to his disciples, and by extension to us, that the love, I have to talk slow because I want you to really process what Jesus is telling us. He says, the love that God in heaven has for him, the Son of God, is the love 
that he has for his followers. The sort of love that God has in heaven for his son is the sort of love Jesus is going to share with his followers. And it's demonstrated in all the ways that I described. His promise to be near us, his promise to take care of us and provide for us, his promise to redeem the difficult things, to cleanse us and purify us from sin. But he says, the greatest expression of my love is going to be found this way. When I lay down my life for you upon the cross, when I take your sin upon myself. That's going to be the greatest expression of all the various ways, the full extent of my love for you. Now, why does Jesus love us like that? Why does he go to the cross? Why are all these benefits afforded us in this relationship? This is what is so astonishing. It's because Jesus considers us his friends. God considers us his friends. I want you to think about friendship for a second. What's the essential parts of friendship? Think about the first friend you ever had in life because you didn't understand totally what friendship was all about. You were just operating based on instinct with your first friendship. Who was it? I can still remember my first friend. Well, maybe not. It was kindergarten. Maybe boys take a while to make a friend. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I just took a while to make a friend. It was kindergarten. I don't think I had any friends before that. Quinn Coleman. Quinn Coleman, yeah. You can Facebook him because there's not another Quinn Coleman in the entire nation. I did find him again later. We had some diverging paths in life. We'll just say that. He left in uh, first grade. But I remember Quinn Coleman was my buddy. And why were we friends? You know, we never sat down and had a conversation. You want to be buddies? You were five years old. No, but we spent time together. We laughed together. We played together. We had each other's backs at recess, at lunch, all the free time that was established in the school day was time that we were sharing together. There was a, a relationship of mutuality between us. Do you know, Jesus is establishing that with us. He's saying, I'm going to come down to your level and I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to enjoy a relationship with you of mutuality and see you as a friend that I love. Because friendship is mutual, he says, now remain in my love. As I have loved you, now remain in my love. You have a part to play. How? How do we remain in his love? I asked it before. Am I going to get to the answer? Because it's the same question as the beginning. How do we remain in the vine? How do we stay attached to this spiritual heart how do we remain in his love? And he says it a number of different ways. And you're like, come on, Jesus, just get to the answer. He says, let my words remain in you. He says, obey my commands. You can remain in me by obeying my commands as I have obeyed my father's commands. So you obey my commands. And he's saying it so many different ways, but he's really helping us integrate like everything he taught. You know, everything he talked about, everything he commanded us, it's all part of this bigger picture, this new command that he gives us. And what is it? What's the answer for abiding in him? What's the answer for these commands, the word that's going to be with us? It's that we would love each other. It's that we would love one another as he has loved us. And how has he loved us? 
He's laid down his life for us, so we're to lay down our lives for one another. On the scale of the big picture, our love for one another as Christians is the linchpin of so many things in John 15 and in all the scriptures. What's a linchpin? We say that phrase. A linchpin was actually the pin on an axle that held a wheel on a wagon. Not very important today. We have more sophisticated designs here. I guess it would be the lug nuts on your car. Try driving around without the lug nuts attached on your car. If that linchpin, that one little pin was taken out of the axle, the wheel would come off, the wagon would crash. And Jesus is telling us the same thing. You can do all these different things with your life, and you can do all these different things as a church, but the linchpin is your love for one another. If you don't have that, the wheel's going to come off, and the whole thing's going to crash, and it's going to come to nothing. But if you have that, you're going to give glory to my Father in heaven. You're going to show yourselves to be my disciples. You're going to bear fruit, and you're going to reveal the reason I chose you as friends. And it's there, he says, even more than just this answer to this question of how we can abide through this practice of loving one another. It's here in this passage that he also reveals, like I said, not just the answer to that question, but his soul. He reveals the motivating factor in telling us all of this and commanding this of us and demonstrating his love for us. It's joy. He says, the reason I'm telling you all this, the reason I'm inviting you into this, the reason I've become friends with you, the reason I've laid down my life for you, it's not just so we can enjoy this relationship and the mechanics of it, and you can bear some fruit and get some stuff done for me in the world. The reason for all of this, what's motivating all of this is joy. That when you live this way, my joy is going to be in you. And your joy is going to be made complete. Don't ever listen to anyone who ever tells you God doesn't want you to be happy. Don't listen to anyone who says to you God doesn't want you to be happy. God does want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be happy on your terms. Because he knows that on your terms, you're going to actually produce something that's not true happiness. He wants to make you happy in the truest sense of what happiness is all about. So friends, when we talk about a happy new year, I exchanged those pleasantries with the Starbucks barista at 5.45 a.m. this morning. We both were deadpan. He handed me the coffee and I felt obligated. He felt obligated. Both in our obligation. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know, you got to say it to everybody today, but what does that even mean? <laughs> like, what does it mean that we're telling everyone Happy New Year? This is it. The answer is find your life in Jesus. Lose it to the world. Let his words remain in you. Learn what it is to love those around you the way that Jesus has expressed his love toward us in laying down his life for us. The reward will be the happiness of God upon you and a joy that is complete, that lacks nothing. Some of you are in a state of lack in some of the realities of your life. It could be you're in want. You want a new car. You want a new house. You want to just be able to pay your bills successfully. You know, some of you are in a difficult place in your marriage. You're in a difficult place in your parenting. You're in a difficult place with your health. You know, some of you are in a place of lack because you say, I don't even have any of those things. I don't have money. I don't have marriage. I don't have kids. 
the joy that Jesus has extended to you, where you're going to be complete and lack nothing, a full, deep-hearted happiness is available before all of those things and is not invalidated by the lack of those things or the quality of those things in your life right now. He has given you the recipe for complete joy in him already. And I'll remind you, if you don't have access to those realities, you say, I lack, I lack, I lack. My new year, I want to just have abundance in those things. Guys, Jesus didn't have any of those things. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a house. And yet he didn't live in lack. And so in him, we can experience the deep riches, the riches, the riches, the complete, C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E, complete joy that has been promised to us. The New Year's all about striving toward new goals, right? And we're not going to be the church that's just striving for new things. If there's one thing that we're striving for and straining for, I want to strive to stop and be with Jesus. I want to strain to pause and remain with him, to remain in his love, to get this one thing right, our love for one another right. Because I know if we get this one thing right, Jesus says you'll succeed at everything else. You will bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit that lasts. You're going to achieve every goal that I have established for you. You're going you're to have every bit of meaning and purpose that I planned for you. If, you. if you get this thing right in me, you'll get it all right. And you'll be deeply, deeply happy. You'll be happy. So friends, that's my commission for us as we step into this new year. That we would love one another. Now, instead of that just being this lofty thing, for just a few more moments, I want to talk about what does that practically mean? What does it mean for us to love one another? I think there's a couple components for us to actually be friends and for us to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Commitment, proximity, vulnerability, mutuality, and generosity. Let me run through these. Commitment means... You and I will choose to stay. We'll choose to stay. Stay in community. You cannot love someone if you're always moving on to the next person. You can't be in community if you're moving from community to community. You have to be with people long enough to build relationship and friendship to love them. So we've got to choose to stay, to be committed. And I don't say that because I'm really driven that the church will grow or something. We can't lose anybody. My joy, I'm going to be completely honest with you, is not tied to a number on a spreadsheet. It just isn't. So even if you choose to leave here, I'm telling you, choose to stay somewhere. Choose to commit somewhere. Because Jesus said, you can't remain in me. You can't enjoy this relationship. You can't experience what this is all about. You won't be happy if you can't learn to love one another. It won't work. So first, you've just got to be there. You've got to commit. Choose to stay. 
Proximity is another key to friendship and love. You have to be near other people. You can't love one another by showing up on Sunday and being on the fringe. You just cannot. It's impossible. You have to position yourself in such a way that you're close enough to other people to be loved and to love. We have a vehicle for that. It's a program. It's called community groups. That is not the end-all, be-all. I don't care how you're in proximity with other people in this community. We create that as a tool and a resource to help facilitate that. But if it's you want to get together with three people on a Thursday morning and talk about life and pray for each other, that's as good as community group. If it's women's discipleship group, whatever means. It's like, if this is the key, if this is what it means to bear fruit, if this is what it means to remain in Jesus, we can't be distant. You can't say, I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. I'm not given another way. Uh, there's not, but, you know, if you kind of are a little antisocial and more comfortable not in social settings, you can also bear fruit by being completely alone with me. He doesn't give that out. No, I'm forcing you. You've got to be near each other. Proximity, you've got to step in. Are you near? You've got to choose to be near other people. Vulnerability. You've got to open up. If you want to be friends, if you want to love and be loved, you've got to open up. You've got to be vulnerable. What that means for us is you've got to say, I need prayer. I want our church family to be the place when I say, hey, you need prayer for this, you just stand, you just say, yeah, I need prayer for that. I would love prayer. I'd love a blessing. No pretense, no holding back. We had a marriage event. It was fantastic because so many people let us in on what's actually going on in their lives. How else can we love each other? How else is it real? If we're doing anything else but that, we're not doing it, guys. The wheels are coming off. That's where the love is is when we open up. You were not built. You have limitations. You were not built to accomplish this on your own. It's through love that you're going to be able to accomplish the challenges of facing your loneliness or facing your challenges in marriage or facing the hardship with your lack of finances. No one can love you unless you share that. So we're going to choose to open up. We're going to choose... For this to be mutual, we're going to receive others. Don't just receive the invitation by somebody else to open up and share your life. Be the invitation. Have people at your table. Have people in your house. Open up new opportunities for you to serve so that you can be an extension to other people. It has to go both directions. And finally, generosity. We're going to choose to give to one another. When we talk about giving in the church, a lot of times it's like, oh, here we go. Another call for money from the pastor. That's what this is about. Look, there are practical needs as we facilitate a community. And there's enough resources in the world to fund the church, to fund all the ministries that exist in this city, and to be generous with the people around us on the scale of generosity that we have available to us. And still live a fulfilled life. Through that, to live a fulfilled life. I'm not worried about money. I'm telling you, generosity is something we're going to choose in relationships because Jesus said, you're going to love like I loved and I laid down my life for you. So that covers everything in between. Yes, I mean generosity and finances. If there's someone in need in this church family, we're going to respond and we're going to give money to the person in need. But it's generosity with your words. 
How are you going to speak about the people around you in this church community? How are you going to speak? In, in, are you going to speak in love? Are you going to build others up with your words? It's generosity or presence. Like, aren't there people in your life that when you're around them, just something about their presence reflects to you everything that you're not? It just seems like, oh, every time I'm around this person, I just get more identified with what I lack in their eyes. And it's a stinginess of presence. But there's a generosity of spirit that Jesus extended to the people furthest from God all the time that made them feel like, I can do this. I can live into God's plans. Guys, if we get that, we'll get it all. If we choose to stay, if we choose to be near each other, if we choose to open up, if we choose to receive each other, and we choose to give to one another, we'll show ourselves to be Jesus' disciples. We'll bring glory to God. We'll do everything that he wants from this branch's community. And guys, we're going to be really, really happy. We're going to be filled with so much joy doing it. So that's my New Year's resolution. Just to grow in love with all of you. And for us to grow in God's love together. Thank you for your generosity of spirit. Listening to me talk about a passage I love from John 15 in a bitter cold wind. (laughs) Let me pray a blessing for you before we end this time, and then you guys can start moving around, getting warm again, eating some chicken together. Let me pray this blessing. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for your love. It's astonishing. It's the most stunning reality. It's it's hard for us to even grasp. We hear it. We read it. It doesn't even register that you, you look at us and you consider us to be your friends in Christ, that you would invite us into a relationship of mutuality that, sure, God, there's a lot of ways we can serve you with our lives, but you say that you actually receive joy from us when we love one another as your son, Jesus Christ, expressed his love for us. You say that your joy is in us. You're happy. So, Lord, would we make you happy? Not in this sense of like, oh, we've got to work so hard, we've got to perform, we've got to do more religious things and, and just put all this effort. Lord, would we make you happy because there, there is just an increase of true love and affection from one person to another in this community across ages, across life stages, across differences. Lord, would you bind us together? by your Holy Spirit? Would you teach us to love? Would you make us a community that commits in all the ways that I described, that commits to stay and get close and open up and receive and share and give? Lord, increase that in our lives and we know that this year will be ever more fruitful than any year past. Bless my brothers and sisters. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen.